Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. We are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of Greenlink Networks, which is a voice over IP channel only. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to take that pain away from some of the new guys. I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues. My name is Craig Hickman. I'm with ProBlue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a managed service provider. We started in 2005. I started with three employees and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way. My name is Joe Ucia. I'm the CEO for Infinite IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're an MSP. We're currently about a dozen employees. We were originally founded in 1999. I believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share their mind share on how to overcome issues. I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago. I hope that you got a lot out of this podcast. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe, and Craig. Welcome to the next episode of IT for Whiskey. I am one of the co-hosts, Craig Hickman, with my buddies, Joe Usia, Myron Herrera, and our buddy, Todd Gates. Hey, Todd. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Again, the last time was an improv. This time, we asked you to come back. That's right. Got an hour of warm-up. Yes, there's no, there's no warm-ups behind. <laughs> what are we going to do now? Todd, uh, welcome back for real. It's great to have you back on the show. Missed you since, I think it was episode... Since San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. And um, you know what I got to say? We, we had the privilege of uh, stopping in and visiting HCS in his quaint little town. And it was... You got to... Nice little operation there, buddy. Not little, sorry. Apologies. But you got a nice operation there. And your staff with their bubbly water really treated me well. And you swear that they were Canadian for how nice they were to me. Maybe they just knew I was Canadian. They were just nice to me because of that. I don't know. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was great to have you guys. It is a little operation, but uh, we appreciate your input. It means a lot to us. You should be proud of what you have, buddy. So today, we're going to open it up to Todd, similar to his first episode with us. We're going to open it up for him to talk to us about some of the things that he has questions for in terms of maybe some struggles that he has or struggles he's heard from other MSPs and kind of make it like a Q&A scenario. Does that sound like a plan, guys? I love it. It's a great idea. I don't have an opinion because I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Joe was cut off. Craig, you're all right. and wrap the second visit for todd and that's it for today (laughs) co-managed prices have gone up what do you got for us todd in response to covid19 msps are facing an onslaught of work but we're also facing some issues internally right And so I'm kind of curious what you guys are doing for company culture. You're working remotely. Our employees are working remotely. One of the benefits of working in an office was how entertaining it can be outside of tech to be around each other. How are you maintaining company culture remotely? 
I'll start this. We have three offices and we have somebody that works remotely at a client site. We kind of deal with it to a certain degree on a daily basis, uh, not to this extreme, but we, we deal with it. We have a company chat group where anything goes in that chat, as long as it's not nothing illegal or whatever. The team use it as a way to blow off some steam. They can relate to some of the stuff that other people put out there. That's something that's just always been there and it continues to be there. It seems to be uh, in the last week or so where the chatter has gone up significantly. Beyond that, I've been regularly sending out emails to continue to encourage all of our staff and keep them up to speed on what's going on, not only uh, in the world, because they've probably tired of hearing what's happening in the world, but what's happening with us as a business and kind of maintaining that from that standpoint. Tonight, we actually have a town hall call where the service team is getting together to talk about stuff and it almost to make it feel like we are still operating under the same roof. But again, my team's used to the remote aspect of being in three different places. I don't think we're feeling it as much at this point, but I'm, I'm curious to hear everybody else's ideas. It was kind of odd two weeks ago to close the office and send everybody home. I had one employee that was adamant to go into the office regardless. One won't mention names, but I didn't stop them. The uh, The thing that we do that is that we're constantly on the group chat talking to each other about what's going on. If there's something that's emergency that shows up, most of it's just a lot of little busy work right now. Eventually, this little busy work stuff is going to dwindle down to nothing. And now is the time to work on our processes and procedures and fine tune the business when we're not being pulled in every direction that's happening right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that there's still a lot of work to be done. I think if the work starts to slow down, I think that's when you really worry about people straying away from the standard processes and stuff like that and, and the culture kind of going going out of place. We actually, uh, one thing, we had a one of the employees' moms sent us a voice note just thanking the company for taking the measures that we had taken to make sure that everybody was safe and working from home and stuff like that. To me, that was great because that the team that hears that puts up the culture feeling a little bit higher. So that's pretty cool. We didn't realize how ready for this we were until the clock ticked 11.59. So we declared pandemic, well, it's almost two weeks ago, and we sent all our staff home and canceled all on-site visits and just said, you know, it is what it is. And the the health of our staff is a priority over non-essential services. And customers, believe it or not, have been responding very positively to this. I, I'm actually, you know, thank you to our customers for respecting and understanding. Bottom line is, for us, it's really business as usual. Earlier this morning, I was talking to a CEO of one of our customers and he said, you know, I saw an email from you, but I've been getting so many of them. I haven't been reading them. You sent all your staff home. I had no idea. That to me really reaffirmed that we clearly knew in advance how to handle this. And considering we, we write pandemic plans for, for our customers, I'm really glad to know that we can actually do it for ourselves properly. So clearly our customers are handling it well as well. So what we started last week was a, a town hall on, on WebEx video. We all get together at 10 o'clock for 10, 15 minutes and we just air our internal dirty laundry, as you, as you can put it. We talk about how things are going and how we can make things better. And if there's anything that we can do as a team to improve our customer experience. And I will say, you know, thankfully, it's it's been pretty good. We've maintained our, our customer satisfaction rating. Our customers are telling us that they're happy with the way things are working. So we're doing something right. That's the good news. 
It's business as usual for us. As a matter of fact, one of the things I can say I found, productivity is up. Imagine that. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Uh, we've, we've seen an improvement statistically. We had great stats before. We have amazing statistics now. But I wonder if that'll hold up for the long term. We're a week into this or two weeks into this, and I still think being at home is a drag for some of our techs. So I'm curious if you guys are prepping for week eight. What does week eight look like for you? I do think that there's going to be a drop because one, we're not going to get that as many calls. That's also something to take account of. I think the number of tickets are going to slow down for, for from the MSP standpoint. Because of the economy or because they're working from home? Because of the economy and because of our users working from home and maybe not tinkering around so much. There's definitely going to be a, a different type of request coming in, especially since some of the industries are closed. Like all the hospitality, closed. There's no longer tickets coming from there. Manufacturing, and that's essential, closed. Uh, it is for you guys. It's not for us. Manufacturing is being deemed an essential service here. Yeah, in some states it is here as well. I would assume most manufacturing is essential. So unless unless you're making... Okay, never mind. <laughs> Not only has manufacturing being deemed essential in our territory, but two other things that blew my mind away is the uh, cannabis industry was deemed essential. Cannabis and the liquor board. Liquor stores are allowed to stay open. I didn't get that one. Well, I, I can explain it. Listen, I need to get my whiskey. <laughs> I agree. But do you know what their, the, the medical officer's opinion on that was? It actually wasn't what you think. She went on air and said, well, there's a lot of people that we know have addiction issues. And I thought to myself, really? And it would be a health detriment to them to shut the stores down and cut off their supply. That may be the wrong way. Anyway, Todd, does that answer your question? <laughs> No, I think, that, I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what we're going to end up doing in week eight. Week one was curious. Week two has been implementation. It's been good. We were prepped for this. We have voice over IP. Our text went home on the 13th, and it was going to be a trial run for a pandemic, and we just never went back. Things were fine. We do the morning meetings, and occasionally we'll do an afternoon one just to check in. Uh, we had a firewall go out yesterday, which required an onsite, you know, so that, you know, how do you navigate that stuff? We've got to, we've got to figure out how to, how to operate, you know, the normal course of business stuff is still going to happen. We're going to have to throw our guys into the trenches or you, the owner may have to do things that you've not done in years. We got it worked out. My guys are great. We've got kids. So they understand that we're at a distance maybe from this more, we're trying to distance ourselves more from this than maybe they have to. And then we have guys that are just itching to get out there and face the front lines, right? And we understand that 80% of us are going to deal with this infection, right? We know it's going to come. We know that 80% of our staff may actually deal with this in the future. We're not at home to avoid it. We're at home to level that playing field. How are we going to deal with this as companies when let's say 10%, 20% of our staff are dealing with the infection. How are you guys preparing for that? Well, I think that's part of what's going to keep us busy. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh through this, but I, I think there's going to be a drop in business and that's going to slow down the number of tickets that are going to come in. But then there are going to be people that either get ill or they're attending to somebody that is ill. And that that's going to bring down their productivity. So I think that those are the things that as business owners, we have to be thinking about and providing the support. Because at the end of the day, at least for my team, you know, and I think you guys feel the same way, they are part of the family. We have to provide the support 
for them to be able to get through some of these things. We've went around and asked the majority of the staff if they needed any financial help through this time. Because you never know. You never know where somebody's financial situation is at the time. And right now, when people are trying to stock up on things at home, they may not have the, the cash. Craig, what are you drinking there? I, I see you making some nicey nice faces. <laughs> I opened up the bottle of Old 55. And I have I actually have some link to this because this is actually made in my dad's old high school. What? That's cool. That's a cool story. High school turned distillery. I love it. Every high school should be a distillery. <laughs> and churches. <laughs> Newtown, Indiana, this is where this is located. And they make a 100% sweet corn whiskey bourbon. None of you have probably had 100% sweet corn before, so it's completely different than anything you've ever tasted, and I can't really explain it to you. I've had 100% sweet corn, but it typically was corn. <laughs> <laughs> but not distilled into a whiskey, and then you consumed it. Mm, so I have to admit, this is actually really good. Uh, it's about $100 a bottle, so it's a little steep, but you have to look at it as a boutique bourbon. It's not something where you can just easily get and make because it's actually kind of difficult for them to make it with all the sweet corn that they use. So I have a few bottles of this, and if you ever find it, try it. But if you're not a big whiskey guy, this is not your bottle. I'm okay with it just because I accept the fact that it's sweet corn and the fact that my it's my dad's old high school. So it's bad. It tastes bad, but you don't mind drinking it. I, I, no, 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 I don't. I don't think it tastes bad. It's different. Give me, give us your tasting notes on that because now I'm nervous. It's definitely interesting on the back end. It has a definitely unique, very unique smell. It's only about eighty proof, so you can definitely drink it without ice or water. You drink most things without ice, anyways. Yeah, he does. If if you want to try something unique and different. Pick it up if you have the money for it. I'll do it. So a hundred bucks where I come from or where I live, a hundred dollars for a bottle is like, <laughs> it's like they're they're all over a hundred bucks. So that's 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 good to me. That's in my budget. And so we to talk Canadian taxes. You guys pay a lot of Canadian tax on on liquor. I was grateful for one thing when I came back from Texas a couple weeks ago. As we all know, I stocked up at Total Wine. It's not you. Oh yeah, Joe. Tell us, tell us how it went when you brought all those bottles back. <laughs> We've not heard this story. I, I will say, so I'm a global entry slash pre-check slash what we call Nexus uh, member, and so I, I was, you know, coming off the plane. It was the first one off the plane because it was in the first row there, and I, I had nobody in front of me. Go up to the machine, insert my card. It did not ask me to declare anything. It asked about COVID if I'd been to China or Italy, and I'm like. No, I'm coming back from Texas, which was unusual. I actually had to go up to an officer and I, and I had to hand in my card. The lady said to me, Oh, okay, fine. You're ready. To, you're good to go. I said, wait, wait, wait. I didn't, you guys didn't ask me to declare anything. Well, you have something to declare. And I said, well, in Canada, I'll tell you the ability to bring alcohol in. I can bring 1.14 liters in. And after that, they hit you hard. They hit you with the liquor tax, the harmonized sales tax. They hit you with this. They hit you with that, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I got quite a few bottles actually in my luggage that I'm picking up. So as a pre-check slash whatever, whatever program member, I'm not going to risk losing my membership. And so she looked at me. I'll never forget this. She goes, what kind of bottles do you have? I said, no, they're all whiskeys, you know, some bourbon, some scotch. Oh, I love a good scotch. Which ones do you have? And I told her, she said, do me a favor. Just have one on me. I said, that's it. 
She goes, yeah, no. She goes, that's fine. If anybody asks you any questions, my name is so-and-so. Tell them, come talk to me. You're good. So I found out afterwards, normally the tax to bring those bottles in would have been in excess of $1,000. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So talk about taxes in Canada. I don't know if I told you guys this, but on the way out, after I passed everything, handed in my cards, collected my luggage, whatever, whatever, I'm about to walk out and I turned back and I said to the guy, can I ask you a question? I said, I declared a bunch of things, but you know, the lady wasn't interested in hearing about it. Why? Should I have said that? Risky, sure. But I was really curious and I'm just one of those guys that needs to know. He said to me, to be honest with you, we've reallocated all of our tax collection specialists to protect us against the pandemic. So that's why we have no one to collect the money, even if you wanted to. Okay, I'm good. So I did nothing wrong. I declared it. I claimed it. They they said to me, you're good to go and whatever. And at this point, you've drank it. It's all gone. <laughs> well, you're still the part of the story where she requested and you gave her a bottle. No, I did drink one bottle so far. It's been a few weeks. But I look at this going, oh, my God, in Canada, you're not paying taxes. It must be a very bad time. Are we at the end of the world? Is it is it The Walking Dead? No, come on. Again. <laughs> so, Joe, I didn't tell you this. So when I came and visited you and I was going through security and they lost my bag. And so I was checking in the lady. She gave me the option from a pile of stuff that I could take in, in payment. She gave me the option to take a case of vodka or gin or something or the Donald Duck. And I took the Donald Duck and gave it to you. I didn't I didn't take the vodka or the gin. I, I was like, I don't like any of those things. I'll take the Donald Duck. <laughs> My kid still has that Donald Duck on her dresser in her room. Good choice. She called Donald Duck. She says, that's crap. <laughs> Have you guys found all the $2 bills I've hid in your house? I, I keep finding them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I found one the other day. <laughs> I just want to share this with you guys. I am drinking an incredibly rare bottle that is so hard to get here. There was one that I got in a lottery from the liquor board. They had 16 bottles for all of Ontario, and I got one. And it's by Colonel Edmund Hayes. Did you guys know that Colonel E.H. Taylor was actually a descendant of two U.S. presidents? Both of his grandfathers were presidents. Did you know that, Greg? Mr. I know everything about bourbons. Oh, I I do not ever declare that. I just know what tastes good. President Madison and President Taylor, they were both his grandfathers. Can you believe that? I thought that was pretty crazy. So he actually started the bourbons way back when. No no wonder he started drinking. <laughs> Truth be told. He actually originally financed a bunch of distilleries because he was working in the, the finance industry back in the 1800s. And in 1870, he bought this small distillery, which was called Leastown Distillery, and he christened it the OFC. And that was his entry into the industry. Since then, he did a bunch of different things and then he sold it off to Stag, which is um, a big distillery that makes uh, bourbon still today. But the cool thing is I'm drinking one of his small batch or one of their small batch bourbons. I've never tried this before. There was only 16 bottles that ever came into the province of Ontario in the last 10 years. And I have one of them and it was by lottery and I was lucky, at least legally. (laughs) Legally, of course. Connections are good. I feel like I am going to a small town carnival drinking this. I I can taste like a candy apple caramelly type taste, but damn do I smell and taste the corn. 
Todd and Craig, you guys have both have tried this. Can you not tell me that when you drink this small batch, there is a corn taste to it? I, I can't remember the last time I had it, so I couldn't honestly tell you. If we have time, I'll pull that bottle because I do have I have two of those remaining. The small batch, not the single barrel. I, I like how Todd has two. Right. And, and Joe got the only one out of Canada. Oh! I got three of 16 in Texas. <laughs> By the way, they have that bottle at the bar that I took you to here in Texas. Yes. Oh, that bar was fantastic. Was it the first bar or the second bar? The first bar and the second one. I wish I got to hop in that clown car of yours on the way back to Dallas. We had like six full-size suitcases, four grown men in a Ford. What was it? A Ford. Uh, the Ford Fusion. Ford Fusion. <laughs> it, it literally, I felt claustrophobic in it, actually. And that's rare for me. <laughs> I was definitely separated from Joe. I couldn't sit next to him because there was a, it was this full-size suitcase between us. You know why? Because he couldn't hold my hand the whole way back. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Yes, that's right the only time I've used actual checked luggage in probably 20 years and it had to sit between us but we made up for that in the hotel room at the Holiday Inn Express oh yeah <laughs> dude every day I woke up I knew something new I'm gonna be a heart surgeon <laughs> Hey, who brought you breakfast every day? Uh, you did, but I slept through it anyway. <laughs> you didn't eat it, but I brought it for you. But then I took uh, Myron's car and drove Mario Kart through Dallas. <laughs> I didn't drive it fast. You guys drove it fast. Myron, by the way, if I were you, I would put a governor on that thing and slow down, buddy. That thing's way too fast. I didn't drive that car fast. I, I drove the legal limit. You guys were testing it. I think you hit 110 a couple times. <laughs> the speeding was performed on a private track, right? The Dallas Tollway, isn't that private? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I was not in the state of Texas at the time. The legal limit of 110. 110 kilometers an hour? Yeah, sure. AKA the uh, Dallas Audubon. Well done. I have no idea what you're talking about. So what are you drinking, Myron? I am drinking a Blanton's that... A single barrel um, Blattens that was opened when Craig and Joe were here. It's really good. I have a Blattens Gold that was intended to be opened while they were here, but we never made it to that. Because Craig fell asleep. We were way beyond the need of that. Yeah, it was like 8.30. It was too late. I just want to point out that Blattens and Colonel Taylor is owned by Buffalo Trace Distillery. So, Toddy, are you going to tell us what you're drinking? I will. I will tell you what I'm drinking right now. I am consuming a bottle of Balvini Caribbean cask aged 14 years. I just got goosebumps, baby. Woo! I love it. This is one of my favorites, and it, it's my favorite for a number of reasons. It's good. You guys know that. Why, 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 why? Tell me, tell me one of the reasons. Just tell me why. Just tell, feed my ego, please. Just, just please don't. Me. Please don't feed his ego. Yeah. As a gift, an employee gave this to me, and it came with a letter. Oh, God bless that employee. Oh, what a great employee. Well, it came with a letter. That letter I keep in... Uh, you framed it. I, w I would, yeah. You put it over your bed. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a rite of passage for me to get that bottle and that letter. It, it's what I'd done for them, and that employee is still with me. Very special brand. Not something I may have picked up on my own, but yeah, I mean that that thing. You know, if I have a celebratory moment like a IT for whiskey podcast and invite, I'm drinking Balvini. 14. Balvini is, is one of my favorite. God bless that employee. God bless that employee. Caribbean cask is not one of my favorite Balvinis. I know it's Joe's number one. I can't deal with the, the rum 
sugary kind of taste to it. It's it's just the right amount of sweetness. I don't like sweet myself. I actually like a really woody flavor, but this one's good balance. So here's the irony. I don't like rums, generally speaking. I'm not a big rum guy. There's some Brugals that I do like. There's a couple of them that I like. There's a Brie Brugal. Some what? Brugal, I said. So Dominicans make rum really well. I got to give Dominicans that. The Dominican rums are my favorite. And there's only three in the world that I can say, I like this rum. Ironically, for whatever reason, the way that Caribbean cask kind of flows and the way it goes down and the aftertaste on me. Ugh. So speaking of aftertaste, this this small batch, I feel like I'm I got like this vanilla taste in my mouth. Did you guys ever feel that when you drank this? No, I I, I can't remember how that drink tasted. Oh, I know about the Colonel Taylor. It's very good. You should just drink it. If you find it, buy it, drink it, enjoy it. So I have to say, shout out to my buddy, Peter. I'm really sorry we saved this. I bought this and saved it for one of our, our whiskey nights. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we've postponed the next one for to an undetermined date. I just couldn't wait anymore, buddy. So I've had this thing two months. I can't wait six more months to try it. Sorry, Peter. If you're listening, I love you, but I had to do it. We're going to take a quick pause for our sponsors. <laughs> I'd like to thank Pappy Van Winkle for sending me this bottle of 23 year. They didn't send you anything. You're such a liar. You bomb. <laughs> we actually, I will declare IT for whiskey. And up until this date, late March, we have not had a single vendor sponsor or pay us or do anything. This is on us. Ooh, I don't know. We got, we got a bottle from uh, somebody. So I got bottle of Jack Daniels, and, and I admitted it. I declared it. It was in the exchange conference, and Trend Micro and one of my board members coerced this whole thing. They sang on the guitar, and ironically, I had the guy at the last conference. He was my board again, and they did it more for fun and whatnot, but... No, I mean, we've had we've we had the gift from Matt as well. We've had a few gifts. True, but they do have sponsorship gifts. Todd gave us some bottles as well. He gave us some white lightning, what Todd gave us. Cream of Kentucky. Cream of Kentucky. What is that, Todd? Would you like to tell us about that? No, I don't want to talk about that. I am going to open a fresh bottle of Colonel Taylor so I can experience the uh, this description Randy described. Oh, thank you for joining me, Todd. Can't decide if I should open up a bottle, too. I don't know. You should. Craig, it'll be the first time that three quarters of us are drinking the same thing. Todd, you have any other questions for us? While you open that? Yeah, Todd, ask away, buddy. What's the next question on your list? This one's a little dark, but like we know we've uh, witnessed a few small MSBs are starting to get hit kind of hard. They know they're they're taking some hits right now. And I want to know if you have any advice for small MSBs. Hit how? This is another question, right? Some verticals are getting hit real hard right now. And if you work with coaching operations in our industry, in our channel, they say the most mature MSPs will focus on and and maintain a vertical. But witnessing what we have in COVID-19, there is risk in putting all of your eggs in one basket. Do you have anything to say about that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm going to go against the curve here or against the those so-called experts. I would not put all my eggs in one basket. I would say you need to specialize in certain line of business, but don't just take on restaurants or things like that. Work on maybe specializing in those areas so that you are identified, but it doesn't mean to take and make all of your business 
from one line of business. I think you have to split up and di- diversify. So that that's the first thing. And then if you are hurting, this is a good time to reevaluate your business and make a decision of whether you should merge with somebody else or acquire somebody else. These SBA loans and all this stuff that's coming out could become an avenue of funding the purchase of potentially someone else. So don't be afraid to go that route as well. For us as an MSP, when, when the financial downturn happened, we grew significantly through that time. And then the other thing is reevaluate your marketing. When you're growing as a customer, you can figure out what your costs are. As you add new employees, you know what, what the cost is per employee. Switch it and say, come work with an MSP because when you're scaling down, you want to be able to cut your costs and potentially working with an MSP will lower your costs versus having a full-time employee. So it's all about who you market in each of the periods that you're in. That's what I am doing. I feel sheltered from this quite a bit. You know, I have a I have a wall basically where I put all of my agreements. I've called every single one of them, check in and sort of see what they're thinking. A lot of them were about two weeks behind this. They're like, oh, no, we don't think you're going to work from home. And we got really lucky in the sense that a lot of our clients were active from the 13th. And like every day we had another client request to go remote or, or start to prepare. And we're kind of reaching the tail end of that. But every single one of them that said, hey, we're not going to work from home, they're now working from home. It has given us an opportunity. And we, we too, we see the silver lining here in that we may have companies that we can reach out to that are maybe considering cutting costs. And IT would be a good place to do that. We also have people that have maybe taken large, smaller companies and they're aging out. They're ready to retire. They don't want to deal with this round of ITBS. They're burnt out. Let's figure out what we're going to do to hand over the operations to another person. And rather than do that, let's hand it over to an MSP. But if you can look back on those 2008 days, how did you acquire those clients? That would be great input for your listeners. That's exactly how I did it. I, I changed the message. And we lost some financial customers at that time, but we changed the message to, we know you're scaling down because your business, you might have been a thousand user company and now you're 400 all of a sudden. You don't need to have three people in IT anymore. It may be time to reconsider that. And unfortunately, some people lost their jobs because of us, but that's the world we're in, right? You have to be able to market yourself for the environment. In a growth economy, you want to grow with us because we we provide the scalability. In a downturn economy, you want to work with us because we provide the savings. And just work through that. So I heard you say, no matter what, you always want to work with an MSP. Absolutely. It's not a biased opinion because we are MSPs. The truth is... It is a biased opinion. <laughs> well, you know something? I will say this. So we've got we've got customers, admittedly. So in, in Canada, we're 10% of the US. So take this with a, a grain of salt. But we have customers that are 10 employees. And we have customers that are 500 employees. We have customers that are over 1,000 employees. And no matter the size of the company, we always play a part. And the difference is... If we keep egos in check and we realize that role that we play, then we'll always add value. When we're trying to take over the world and conquer everything and everyone, we lose. But as opposed to always thinking selfishly and thinking about ourselves, I say, 
we need to think about our customers, especially in hard times like this. We earn our stripes and our customers look at us and say, you know something? I, I totally see the role you play now. We could not get through a pandemic like this if we didn't have a relationship with you. To me, that's what strokes my ego. I want to know I am helping you. I am providing value. If I can't help you and provide value, just go buy from anyone else because I'm, I'm a me too and that's not who we are. In our case, we still have customers that are in industries that are actually growing through this pandemic. They're hiring, they're building facilities, they're looking to move in the next six to nine months. Those are things that are good for us. You got to find yourself those customers that are in the right industry so that you're not affected by this stuff. The important piece is always making sure that your company's diversified and not put into one silo. When 2008 happened, the entire real estate just, just took a whole dump. So all the realtors that we had, we were supporting a lot of realtors back then. Gone. They were gone. And they never returned. I, I never got any of those realtors back. They either got consolidated because there was a lot of independent realtors and they all just moved into you know the FC Tuckers or, or the Remax or whatever you want to call them. And they never came back. You just want to pay attention and make sure that you don't get so heavy into one industry that you can't easily move later and accept different industries. I expect there's going to be something different that's going to come out of this in the end. And we don't know exactly what that is yet. Well, but we're all visionaries, right? I mean, you're, you're an executive of your company. You're thinking ahead, right? Oh, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm a, I'm a great thinker. I'm not a very good doer. You're like, I'm thinking ahead, but it's just to maintain my supply. What I think is going to happen is right now it's hard to find whiskey. I'm, I'm kind of contemplating on what's going to be on the shelf here in a week or two because there's going to be a surplus of whiskey. Yeah, it's been cleaned out in Texas. Texas is number one in consumption with the COVID-19 issue. Gone. Like shelves are cleared out. It's like toilet paper here. I would agree. <laughs> it's like toilet paper everywhere. I, I, have a, I have a bidet, so I don't need toilet paper. Amen to bidets. Actually, brilliant. The one thing I will say is for an, an MSP that is up and coming, you know, as you look at the, the verticals that you specialize in, it was about eight years ago we said, we're way too heavy in this one vertical, you know, architectural engineering and consulting. That vertical in particular, we, we spent a lot of time on, and yet we're damn good in that vertical. But quite frankly, it represented 80% of our revenue. And we said, no, we can't do this anymore. And it had nothing to do with 2008, it had nothing to do with any economic times. It was all about the risk and how do we mitigate this risk? If something happens that takes that vertical out, how do we protect ourselves? So what we did is we said, okay, here are five verticals we want to specialize in that we know a lot about, and there's similarities. So as a, an owner of an MSP, look at the verticals out there. If you're doing doctor's offices, think about dentist's office, think about this, think about that, whatever the case may be. Think about other verticals that are similar to the one you specialize in. Pick three or four others and find a way to get yourself into those verticals. So how I know we're going to ride this storm out, at least I think we will, and I'm confident and we will, is the fact that we now have seven verticals and they represent roughly 20 to 22% of our revenue overall. So if one or two of those verticals get hit, my staff are still safe. We took Myron's example on this recently and we've been communicating to our staff about what's going on and how we think about things. And we've been communicating proactively to our staff saying, hey, guess what? Your jobs are protected and here's why. And one of the things that has been very evident is the fact that we're focused on a monthly subscription price, not a transactional price. And the other thing is the fact that we're spread evenly across most of the verticals that we work in and 
the world. I would appreciate it. Eight more months to finish my grand plan, but unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But the reality is we're close enough there that I'm not worried. We're going to be here when this whole pandemic ends. And the truth is, as you guys said earlier, who knows what the net result is going to be. I can say this much. The economic workforce globally is going to be impacted and changed forever. We will always do things differently because of this pandemic. And we have customers have told us, you know something? We really need to consider this work at home thing as a more permanent thing because you know what? It actually works. Employees go home and they work. You know, even if it's two or three days out of the week that they work from home, we're finding productivity is up. So here are the positives that the news is not telling you folks. Ask your customers, is productivity up. And I guarantee you 100% of the customers I've spoken to, they've all said, you know something, it's really strange. We find we're getting more throughput and the cost is the same. I, I think we're going to see a decrease in that. Honestly, I really think week eight, week three, week four, we're going to see a difference in productivity and it's going to be hard to determine. That's why I'm saying rotate it. Full time, I agree. But look at two days a week. Maybe, but part of it's just like a but we don't know. We don't know right now. It's a litmus test if the productivity we're seeing is like a an opportunity to dive into productive work to ignore the stress that people are facing. Uh, of course, we have we've got the people who are parents, but you can see with your statistics right now, right? As an MSP, you you track your employees to the minute. Uh, you have to determine client profitability to determine how productive your employees are. I think I think on paper we're going to be able to see who's on Xbox, who is not. I don't think any of mine are, but you're going to see it in the numbers. As an MSP, I think we can offer our clients that kind of uh, exposure. You know who is most productive at home, and we're going to filter out you know selectively employees who are best fit for operating at home, and some some will be more appropriate than others. My take on this is that professional services are probably the unit that can work from home a lot easier. When you look at other areas like manufacturing or whatnot, that area, hospitality, there's no way that they can, you know, do the work from home. There are industries that will work from home and there are industries that just won't. Depending on which industries you're in, it will vary. Like if I ask, I would say 60% of my customers and, and some of them are in manufacturing. They would say that it's, 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 it's not, it's not working. You know, it also, it also depends the age of the workforce. I have an older person that handles the account payable for one of our clients. That's becoming a very difficult task to do from home on a laptop to be able to get the bills to kind of run through that process. If it was a younger person, maybe they would be creative on the way that they get those bills and they process those bills. An older person, he or she is going to struggle. I, I think that it, it depends on the, the person, the, the industry, the, the environment. And it, there are going to be people that will adjust because, you know, I got attorneys that were reluctant to letting people work from home. And now it's going to be probably more of an open thing. You know, also let compliance is going to have to change because some compliances don't allow it. I have litigators that it, it just will not work for them to work from home. It, it depends on the industry, what I'm trying to say at the end of the day. I, 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 I agree. There's some industries that require in-person presence and, and there's that. Honestly, 
Let's take a step back. Let's look at the business on the whole as opposed to an individual. We, for example, about a year ago, went everything pure electronic internally, and we've gotten rid of paper and even our billing and our, our credit cards, everything. We've moved everything to online and we've integrated everything online. If we can do this, anybody can. And guess what? It was really easy and it was really simple. The mindset is the issue. And you're right, because that person that's a year or two away from, from retirement, they don't want to learn something new. And I get that. And that's fine. And that's fair. But you know, sometimes pulling blood from a stone is really hard. But it's not to say that it's not a possibility, that it's not available. It's not an option. If we could do it, and we have some really old thinkers here from an admin perspective, anybody can. That's my thought. That's been available for a long time, and and we've been pretty much paperless for since we started in '04. It's it's a matter of people wanting to shift, and and I'm agreeing that more people will be willing to do that now than they were in the past. Hey, uh, Craig, that what what is that bottle that you just pulled out? I am drinking Willet Pot Still Bourbon. Let me see the bottle one more time. This is like uh, end of world stuff. He's pulling out his uh, apocalyptic stock. If you if you're going to will it, man, things are things are bad. No, I've I've got some willets that you would uh, that are worth more than Pappy. <laughs> Beautiful. What year is that? This is Willet's kind of their mainstay bourbon reserve. It, it is um, a pot still, which is kind of made differently than your your, your traditional bourbon. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, boys. This is straight from my heart. Don't buy this. <laughs> <laughs> That or the all corn or sweet corn whiskey. I mean, <laughs> not worth it, huh? Here we go. It's a fancy bottle. It looks cool. It's great if you want to have it on your shelf and like share it with people. But it, it's not something it's worth the money for. I just, how much? How much was that bottle? Oh, that was probably like thirty-eight bucks or something. Hey, Todd. So, what else do you got for us? Any other questions? I, I, I want to know how can we? How are you? Or or how can we as uh, IT specialists, people who are involved in the day to day, and in my opinion, kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of things technologically, how can we help our clients outside of IT right now? So one thing that I did that actually the group has already shared together. I know Myron shared his letter. Is I shared a template to all of my clients that were essential on what they would have to use to allow their employees to work and travel in the state of Indiana. And two actually used my template, but the majority of them, are, they've already been thinking about it, but they all came back very thankful that they were, I was thinking of their business and thinking about how they can continue to function. They were very grateful for the fact that I took the time to get the template together and send it to them. And, th- and there was some information in there that some of them didn't even know about. I'm, I'm looking from a business perspective and not a technology perspective. How can I help them, a business owner, and how to better prepare their business to be ready to help? Something that, that needs to come up, especially in Indiana, is I am one thing I requested our team to do is we need to communicate routinely with our clients and keep them up to date about our business. We're available to them. But most importantly is what do we do when things go live? Todd, any other questions? You guys do this already with your podcast, but how can we help our peers that may be struggling? MSPs that are having a hard time right now, How? what can we do for them outside of this podcast? I would say that you know, they, they can email us, social at it4whiskey.com. Ask us questions and we will discuss it internally. We will try to help as much as we can. That's one way. Other than that, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. 
So my, my biggest fear, honestly, is we spent all this time helping with emergency requests, just tons of time spent. Who is and who is not going to pay their bill next month? That's my concern. And how will you deal with that? That's that, that, Honestly, for those clients that don't pay a bill that are in an agreement, some MSPs have not faced that. How do you deal with it? Our customers are the reason why we're here. And as long as you remember that, we'll still be here tomorrow. You need to take one of two stances and it's based on the relationship. If you have a really good relationship and you trust the person and you believe in their business, then support them. We have one customer in particular, they manufacture devices for healthcare and EKGs and whatnot, and they're really bad at paying bills. And they're into us for close to a hundred grand. But the truth is this, is that when money comes in and when they're able to, they always pay their bills and they sure up. So I'll support that. I'll help cash flow the business. I send the, the company interest invoice and late fees and whatever, and they pay them all and never question it. So that's a relationship that I can invest in because there's a return. And because the CEO and I talk on a weekly basis, he updates me. He tells me what's going on. He And they don't question any bills and they just pay them. In that scenario, it's okay. But I have other customers, for example, that are trying to treat us like a a dollar store and we're providing no value. And in that scenario, guess what happens? If they don't pay their bills and hits 90 days, then you got to treat them the way they treat you. So I, I say, you know, we all know the real value of the relationship. Trust your gut. If your gut tells you that they respect the relationship, respect it back because that will pay off in dividends when this is over because I believe this will eventually be over. But if you feel that they don't value you and they just treat you like the corner street dealer and you're just no, no, nothing important to them, you got to reciprocate. You got to give them the same treatment. You know what I mean? The, the other thing I would say is that if you're going through a struggle as an MSP, you lost a couple of customers or some customers aren't paying, work with other MSPs. Talk to other MSPs. You may, you may lost of an employee because they're ill or, or whatnot. Talk to other MSPs and work with them. We have an account in Chicago and on the MSP side, we had terminated the person that was there and we're still in the process of searching for a replacement. In the meantime, we've been traveling from Texas to, to Chicago to support that, that office um, on a weekly basis. But obviously with this whole pandemic, we grounded everybody. We reached out to a MSP friend of ours in Chicago and they took on the business and they were happy to take on the business because things had slowed down for them. Work as a community together with other MSPs. Todd, you know it through the Greenlink partner network. There are MSPs that are basically competitors in their area, but they're friendly because of Greenlink and they work together, you know, and they've all kind of grown because of that. So I would say work with other MSPs. I think that this is a time for putting aside differences and, and help each other. And I think it'll be good. I think everybody will work out great. That's an opinion. You had mentioned too, that we could also buy up those competitors that are failing. And that's part of the conversation. If they're, you, you may find out that your competitor down the street is, is worse than you are and they're looking to get out. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity. Absolutely. Look at your own maturity, right? I, I, I've worked with a couple of uh, investors that say we're not quite ready for that, which is good advice, right? Because we have people in our region that are uh, worthy of being 
absorbed. <laughs> and they're saying that we're not quite there. Like, it's going to be a nightmare for us. We could walk into a, uh, a rat's nest that we're not ready for. You guys probably have good advice on that, too. But I think I think we should cut off here. And uh, naturally, you'll want me back for more. <laughs> I like the assumptive uh, clothes right there. You know, we've, we've gone long. <laughs> so, Kevin, take it away. That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at it4whiskey.com. Yo. Oh, please don't take your shirt off, Joe. We're still recording. Son of Kevin, did you get that? Yes, you did. Ha, 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 ha.